As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standard. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Sunday night here in the DMV. I was out at practice Today was kind of a quiet practice, but we did have a chance to talk to Ron Rivera afterwards to get some thoughts from him about uh, Friday's game against the Cleveland Browns. I didn't do a podcast right after that because I was waiting for my guests to join me, and that happened a little bit ago, and that was, of course, our pal Grant Paulson with 1067 The Fan. We just broke down kind of everything we saw. We really had some positive things to say uh, about the secondary. We talked about uh, some potential roster decisions that may be coming. The offensive line struggles absolutely got a spotlight. And yes, we spoke plenty about Sam Howe. In addition, I have a new bit we're going to try this year that has to do with spreads, but it's not the Vegas spreads. Um, and it's not cream cheese spreads or things like that. No, it's 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 the same type of Vegas line, but with random subjects. Hopefully you enjoy it. You'll see in a little bit, Eric Bieniemy was uh, to a degree was involved with that Sam Howe as well. Um, so we'll get to that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only Podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, do me a favor. Just look right now. Hit that subscribe button where you're listening to. Um, tell your friends about it as well. I appreciate all the support there. Same thing with The Athletic. Um, I'll have a story up Monday morning. Uh, a bit of a rookie r- re- roundup update. Uh, whatever you want to however you want to phrase it, uh, with thoughts about uh Quan Martin, Chris Rodriguez, Mitchell Tinsley, Casimir Allen, the offensive line, uh, the two young edge rushers. So uh lots of stuff in there you can check out uh on uh Monday morning. And if you haven't already and want to subscribe, appreciate you thinking about doing so. All right. So as I said, we uh Grant and I broke down the game, so I won't get into that too much. Here, other than just to say, hey, look, I think Sam Howell was the number one thing we all wanted to see going into it. I don't know if saying flying colors is is a bit much because it feels like it probably is, especially since the first two drives were kind of ugly. Not necessarily his fault, but nonetheless, it's the offense as a whole. But I think by and large, you got to feel pretty good about what you saw from Sam Howell. I, I give it a, a thumbs up for sure. Uh, poised, 
He's got the arm strength. He's mobile. A lot to like. So uh, Grant and I will talk about that some more. But I just wanted to say up front because obviously that's the big story uh, of the day. I, I guess if the other story would be Eric Bieniemy, and frankly, with the play calling, you really can't get into that until the games get going. So I can't say much, but I do think the offense in general looked pretty crisp. I mean, I, again, we, we understand the offensive line had struggles, but there were really no, you know, there was no delay of games. I don't think they didn't seem to be confused getting in and out of the huddles. That's that was a big point of emphasis earlier in camp. Or earlier in the year, I should say, back in OTAs and minicamp. So I thought they looked pretty good from that standpoint. Um, on the injury front, that's always a question, right? Chase Young left with a stinger. He did not practice today. Rivera said that things seem okay. He's got, Chase Young's going to have one more test, but otherwise things seem okay. And then, um, you know, they'll go from, go from there. I... Kind of feel like I doubt we're going to see him now, though, in these Baltimore joint practices, which are go Tuesday and Wednesday. I could be wrong. Happy to be wrong. But but they've been very cautious with their injuries. Um, Logan Thomas, for example, still out. It's been, I think, six practices now in a row. We haven't seen him. So I would be surprised, I guess, if Chase Young were to play. It's obviously not the world's biggest deal. I thought he looked pretty good athletically, right? We, we've talked about that, my observations in camp. Um, he almost got Deshaun Watson on a sack on a, on a nice move. That was a play he got hurt on. So he needs, we need to see more, but I don't know if we're going to see it more in these joint practices, perhaps in the Monday night game against the Ravens, but we'll see about that. Uh, Fedarian Mathis left for a little bit on, uh, in the game with a cat with Rivera said as a calf injury. He also didn't practice today. They're, they're being cautious with him. Uh, so we will see where that goes. Um, that's kind of it right now on the injury front. There really wasn't much else that I'm thinking of um, at this point beyond, like I said, the Logan Thomas situation. So we will see where that goes. Now, they did today pick up tight end Caden Smith, who's been in the league for a couple of years now. He was with the Giants most recently, I believe. And I know people are pointing to this as a a worry about Logan Thomas. I don't know if I think that. I think it's more about the back end of the tight end room. Because if we're assuming Logan Thomas, Cole Turner, and John Bates are good, I think they'd like to keep four, help the offensive line, right, with an extra blocker potential there. But, you know, they they lost um, Armani Rodgers back in May, unfortunately, with with an Achilles injury or an injury. Colt, um, sorry, Curtis Hodges, he was viewed as like one of the, you know, dart throws along with Rodgers and I guess to some degree Cole Turner. He's been unimpressive, I would say, to be nicer and maybe, you know, like there's not much going on there. He hasn't hasn't been catching passes as frequently as you, you, you would like. Um, I And then you have uh, Alex Arma, who's interesting as that fullback tight end option something that Kansas city had a little bit and it wouldn't stun me if he stays around, but that said as a pure tight end, I think they may only have three guys that they can feel pretty good about right now. So we'll see it's day one for Caden Smith. I didn't even would not, you know, we'll, we'll see where he's at in, in a few days, but I, I, I think that to me is more what that's about. If Logan Thomas is not back soon or we don't get an update, they're just saying, Hey, look, we decided to arrest him until week one. We're all going to be a bit nervous, no doubt, but, 
at the moment, I'm assuming this is more about the back end of the tight end room than it is um, Logan Thomas's injury. Uh, so we will see about that. Uh, again, the Ra- the uh, commanders will be in Baltimore Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, practices start at 930. I don't know what the fan situation is. I'm sure if you go on the Ravens website, you may be able to get a feel for, for that. I, I don't know. I, even for us, it, I, we're still not quite sure exactly what will be happening. I will be there. Uh, for what it's worth, they have told us that um, tweeting is going to be very limited. The, the Ravens have different rules than the commanders, so don't expect a lot of tweets from the beat in real time. Um, obviously, eventually, we'll, we'll tell things, but in real time, don't expect too much uh, there. So um, we will see where that uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be really interesting, though. I, I'm excited for that as good as it was to see these guys in the in the game i think the uh, the controlled practices like this i think can really give you a lot give you a lot more i think the coaches definitely think that so uh that's going to be a lot of fun for sure um before i get to grant can i just whine for a second about real life stuff i, I don't think i've talked about this on here yet i have a uh hyundai sonata and if you, many of you probably heard Thanks to some TikTok trend or something, Hyundais have been like getting swiped all over the place in this country. Mine got stolen late May, May 25th. Now it was recovered. It was recovered before I even knew it was gone. It was stolen overnight. And I had cops knocking at my door asking me if I knew where my car was. I'm like, I don't know. Isn't it right there? And they're like, no, it didn't. It was found in Virginia, but we got it back. They broke the window and they broke an ignition. Both of those got fixed, but then some other problem has cropped up. Something involving the brakes, seize, having helping to seize the engine. One place couldn't figure it out. We took it to a dealership. They supposedly told me what the issue was. Um, I got the car back Thursday. Again, May 25th. I got the back Thursday. Today, while driving home from Ashburn, less than a mile from the facility, it broke down again in the same way, and I had to get it towed home. Uh, I've been in a cranky mood all day. Uh, it's not, I'm not happy. I've kept it in check for two, two plus months. Not happy. I have no idea what to do. I don't want a car payment, but I feel like one's coming. So, um, your guy here is, uh, been a bit frustrated, uh, over the last few weeks, but I felt the need to share at this point because the saga is just, this is like my therapy. So this is, you guys are gonna, uh, you you get the, you get to hear me vents. I'm, I'm, I'm not laying on a couch. Uh, but other than that, this is me venting because I just haven't had a chance to do that today. Um, I will be in Baltimore though. I, I don't know about practice tomorrow. I will be in Baltimore though. One, you know, heller heller high water. I will get there. Um, how I don't know yet. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but that 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 that's for that's for me to figure out here. I, I don't uh, I don't know what I'll be doing. Maybe, maybe Ron Rivera can swing by and get and uh, pick me up on the way or something. Who knows. Um, all right. So I just felt like venting because, uh, you know, I like to let you guys know what's going on over here. Um, yeah, it's weird. Uh, anyway, that's it. That's it for that. Let's get to the fun stuff. That wasn't fun. Let's get to the real fun stuff. Uh, Grant Paulson, 1067 the fan. I, I always enjoy talking to Grant about anything, but the commanders in particular, uh, we got into a lot of different topics. So let's get to it right now here on the standard room only podcast. All right, we've had a couple of days to digest what we saw on Friday. 
as the Commanders play their preseason opener. Who better than to discuss what we saw in the preseason opener than our guy Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan. Do I need to tell people it's the uh, Grant and Danny show? Well, I just did. I don't think I did, right? At this point, do we need to tell people that? Like, people know who you are, right? Can't hurt. I like uh, spreading the word. Let's uh, let's find a new listener each and every day. Hello, who, Benjamin. Who's the most interesting person that's ever come up to you and said, I listened to your show that you may or may not have otherwise been like, really? There's no way that person's listening to my show. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Great question. I always like when I'm at the feet, like at the stadium or at the, you know, ballpark or something. And somebody with the team tells me they're listening or they mention something from the show. Cause that's to me, that's the greatest compliment. If someone who is in the know and knows what they're talking about and knows what they're doing can listen and, and not think it's terrible. Uh, although maybe they do think it's terrible and they just don't tell me. So I guess, you know, um, when, when someone in a front office or something tells you that's probably the best compliment. I've had a couple of, uh, you know, other coaches or, or people in other organizations that are in town say, Hey, I heard you when I was in the rental car or whatever. So that's always the best. I think just people in the industry. Yeah, no, 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 uh, no doubt. Very cool on that one. I listen often, as you know, because I, uh, send you texts during the show with my random thoughts about whatever was just said. I don't know why I do that. It's, it's like I, it's, it's like I've, it's like in my head I've graduated from being a person who calls into the show since you have me on the show, but I still have that vibe. Like, okay, I still need to say something, so I'll send you a text, which I appreciate. Yeah, a lot of times you are uh, giving some you know, color commentary or adding a little context for some boots on the ground perspective, which I appreciate. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help as you are right now talking to me about this game. Um. No doubt we'll talk about Sam Howe, because obviously that's the huge story, and you can go there if you want, but I'm curious. You have been out to practice, but you obviously have a job that keeps you away from that and a growing family and all that, so you have not been out there as much as some of us. What was the thing that maybe stood out to you, good, bad, indifferent, weird, whatever, from this game, uh, just based on because you've only been hearing it mostly? Yeah, a few things. I love the speed. And the way that a lot of their young defensive backs played in the secondary, uh, that stood out to me. It, it wasn't as though Emmanuel Forbes did something incredible as a, as a DB uh, in pass coverage or Quan Martin shined or anything like that. There, you know, their first or second round pick, but just in general, I think the depth in the secondary was very obvious. I liked seeing Forbes's willingness against the run on the third down play on the goal line stand. That was all awesome to see. Uh, Danny Johnson made a couple of nice plays breaking on the football with some PBUs. I thought Christian Holmes may have played the best game of anybody and helped himself maybe more than anybody on the team going back to Friday night. So I would just say the young secondary, I kind of wondered what that would look like. I think that they're going to be really good on the back end. I think Cam curls, a star and Forrest is coming into his own as a really good player. I love Benjamin St. Juice, very, very high on him. Fuller's kind of steady and a veteran and a known commodity. I'm curious about Forbes and, and Martin. I wanted to see if Percy Butler is kind of ready to graduate to another level. He had an interception in the game. Jeremy Reeves was all over the place, just plays a physical, violent brand that I really like. So I really liked what I saw in the secondary. And then another guy that, you know, before the game, Ben, we kind of made a list on the show of who we want to see do something on Friday night. And one of the guys at the top of my list was Cole Turner. And I 
love the way he played. Obviously, it's easy to get excited from a production standpoint when you get you know, four targets, four catches, 31 yards. But he did some some physical things that I like. You know, he was running a crossing route on a third down where they got him on a one on one. And he made a really nice athletic hands catch kind of bending down around the knees away from his body. Uh, that was a good sign. Uh, he had a great block on an 11 yard power toss out wide to Brian Robinson. He, he get, drove his guy about 10, 11 yards downfield. This is a guy that's a receiver first and a blocker second. And I don't know what's going on with Logan Thomas. Presumably he'll be back soon, but I do think Turner's going to be involved this season. And I think he's got a chance to make an impact potentially. So to see him play that way, I was really, really happy about that. Uh, to go back to the secondary for a second, what was your, what were your years on the beat? Were you out there? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, every single day. No, not this year. I mean, in general, like but historically, what years yeah, yeah, did you yeah. cover the team? Yeah, so every day on the beat for Shanahan, 10 to 13, and then I was out there a ton for the first couple of years of Gruden, not daily. So really from like 10 to 15, a whole lot. So I bring this up because you mentioned the secondary. So I'm pulling up here 2013 just to pull up a year. This was their starting secondary. D'Angelo Hall, obviously a pretty good player. Josh Wilson. Okay. The safeties, Reed Doughty. And Brandon, I'm always going to get penalized, even though I don't think I've got a penalty, Merriweather. The, the 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 safeties for this team, I mean, realistically, probably since Sean Taylor's passing, um, has been a terrible position. Like, we talk about the quarterback, and that's obviously the biggest constant issue, but safety in his, has been a mess. And now, I mean, as a position, it might be the deepest on the team. I mean, I can at least make the argument because of the fact that, you know, I, you know, Cam Curl's really good. I don't know if he's an all-pro or anything, but okay, he's pretty good. Forrest made huge strides last year. Percy Butler in practice looks like he could be making that leap that Forrest made a year ago. He has the interception in the game. Quan Martin has gotten off to a little bit of a quiet start, but, like, they definitely like him, and I understand why. As a slot corner, he can play back in the center field. He can hit. And then Jeremy Reeves is just, you know, totally – solid guy, great locker room, all that. Like that is a lot of depth at a position where they've just been an absolute mess forever. Uh, that That's it's quite a turnaround. So like, we'll get to the offensive line and while that's gone in the opposite direction, the safeties in, under this regime uh, have gone the other way. 100%. And unlike at corner where they've used early picks, right? Or the D line where you got the four first rounders and they've thrown some of their best assets at a position, it hadn't been that way at safety. I mean, to their credit, Cam Curl, who, again, I'm going to use the word star. I think this guy's going to be outstanding for a long time, and I hope they sign him, and I think they will. He was a seventh-round pick. Derek Forrest out of Cincinnati was a fifth-round pick. Percy Butler out of Louisiana, Lafayette, or whatever they call that school now where Brian Mitchell went, uh, was a fourth-round pick. Jeremy Reeves was a college free agent that's kind of hung around and ingratiated himself into the mix. And then you mentioned there are some tweeners like the second rounder, uh, Jartavius Martin. But to your point, yeah, they're loaded at safety. I mean, they have a chance to be excellent at that position. I feel the same way, by the way, about corner. Maybe the ceiling's not as high because, like, Fuller's good. Forbes is going to be a little boomer bust as a rookie, I would imagine. You're going to get beat. You're going to give some things up. Martin, there's going to be a learning curve in the slot. It's a really, really difficult position. But I do love the way they're putting together 
the corner room. And that was a spot I felt awful about last year. In fact, if you go back and pull audio from when you and I are talking before the season, that was probably my least favorite spot on the roster. I think they ended up keeping like four guys and one of them was Rashad Wild Goose had been here for 13 seconds. But now all of a sudden you got Forbes, you got Fuller. I love the way Christian Holmes, as I said, played not only this weekend, but some of the things you're hearing out of camp. I think Benjamin St. Juice, if he can stay healthy, which is a big question for him, is a baller. Uh, Martin is arguably the best player in this draft class as a nickel corner. Uh, Danny Johnson, he's very much a, a special teams first kind of down the depth chart player, but as a fifth type corner in the National Football League, I mean, that guy has, has flashed plenty. So, yeah, I, I just think they've done a really good job building the secondary up. I think they deserve credit for that. They obviously don't care about linebacker, and that's not a knock. That's just an observation. They really don't. Uh, I, it's weird that they drafted Jamin Davis in the first round because everything they've done since then screams into a megaphone. This is not a position that we value. So even though your D coordinator was a linebacker and your head coach was a linebacker, it's D line and secondary. And they got a lot of DBs on the field. They got a D line. They then can get to the quarterback. That's what the whole defense is going to be about. And they should be good because they, this year you spent your top two picks in the secondary and, and you look at the first rounders up front. It's going to have to be the, the strength of your defense, and the defense is going to have to be the strength of the team. You know, you make a good point. I'm going to have to remember to ask Rivera or Del Rio one day, what's it like seeing the linebacker position being devalued, not just by the league, but by you guys, because of how little they're investing in it? I mean, you know, they signed Cody Barton to a one-year deal, um, and you know, Mayo and um, Khalid Hudson, you know, whatever. I mean, the the fine I, i've given up arguing about that position but yeah it's just fascinating that like these guys maybe it's to their credit i don't know but that they're not like no no, no we have to have a linebacker that's what it felt like with with uh the jamin davis pick whether it was because rivera played the position or he had luke keekley and thomas davis in carolina and those guys were really the key to that defense and he felt like we needed that which i get and but okay alas they it's not there right now but to your point with the secondary they looked sharp and they have all camp um, they were hitting people, and you know, the defensive line presumably will still be the best unit on that side of the field. But if the secondary can make it a game, the, I mean, then all of a sudden you you know you really are looking at a group that could be. It, they were top ten statistically last year. I didn't know, and even and going back to twenty twenty when they were really good statistically, in neither year that I feel like they were the opposing part of the game. They had some good moments, but I never was like, wow, the, the other team's going to have to completely change course because of these players. Maybe that's going to be different this year. Yeah, completely. And what I think their goal is, if I had to guess, and what I'd assume they want to do when they got back to the drawing board, so to speak, after this season is they got to create more takeaways, and they know that, right? That as good as their defense was, if you go back to last season, they would go major stretches without a pick. They finished 28th in the National Football League with nine interceptions last year. You know, the 49ers had 20. The Steelers had 20. The Patriots had 19. The Eagles had 17. You know, you're talking about half that, right? Takeaways total, the Cowboys had 33 and the 49ers had 30. Some of the premier teams in the conference, Washington managed just 18, which was 26th in the league. The, the teams that were worst in takeaways, you're talking about clubs like the Raiders and the Saints and the Jets and the Panthers and the Falcons. These are mostly teams that didn't make the playoffs. So uh, I, I think being good from a yardage standpoint is important. Being good from a scoring 
point of view defensively is way more significant. But the number one thing that you can do, as far as I'm concerned defensively, is make game-changing plays. I really don't care how many big plays you give up. It's almost like striking out in baseball if you're hitting home runs, so to speak. And if you're picking off a pass, if you're generating a sack fumble, those are the plays that win you football games. And they got to do more of it. I think they know that. My guess is that's almost the sole reason why they went Forbes over any of the other corners that were on the board at that point when everyone thought someone else would be the corner that they choose. And uh, they're turning up the fader on that. So I'll be really curious when they actually start you know, mixing some coverages and game planning in a way that tries to surprise quarterbacks, you know, how that looks on the back end, if they can get their hands on some footballs. Um, We got to look at this, just to stay on the defense. Obviously we got to look, we didn't really get much of a look at the starting defensive line. They only really played the one series. Uh, and then on top of that, Chase Young left with a stinger for Darian Mathis, not a starter, but high rotation guy left with a calf injury. Um, we did get a chance to see some of the other guys, including the rookies, Andre Jones and KJ Henry. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't really notice KJ Henry, which Same. has kind of been the part of what it's been going on in camp. Um, Jones has flashed a few times because he's like very raw and energetic and it doesn't feel like he quite knows what he's doing, but he seems like he's making something happen at times. So that kind of stood out for me. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting group though. Cause I think there's 11 guys who could make the team. And realistically, I don't know. They keep more than 10. So I, I actually, I take it back. I think there's 12 guys. Cause I think a guy like a Benning, I'm going to butcher the last name, potato or something like that. I Benning apologize. Potato. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, I think he's, he's a good in camp uh, granted against third stringers, but whatever. Um, so I think that's going to be really an interesting scenario for sure. Um. By the way, John Ridgeway. I don't know what you th- if you. I didn't. I didn't pay too much attention to that, but I think that's going to be interesting too. Do they keep him and Mathis? I don't know. I don't know if I think. I think that they I'll... should. Here's actually why I think they should. Remember last year, one thing that they did struggle with at times was stopping the run late in the season, and I think they got to get to a point where the rotation works out to the standpoint that they are able to still get up the field and get to the quarterback without it really affecting their run defense. Uh, Last year, they finished third in yards per game, 11th in yards per play defensively. But if you look at it, they were like 16th, I think, in yards per play against the run compared to top 10 against the pass and fourth with 191 yards per game. And down the stretch in, in games where they played some really good teams running the ball, at times they would get gashed. You know, you think about that Browns game and, some others. Um, what I think happens sometimes with their defensive front is as good as Allen and Payne are at D tackle, you know, those guys start getting up the field and collapsing the pocket and pushing the pocket from the interior. You get paid when you're John Allen after a year with a bunch of sacks. Now you got to go back to just eating up space. Same with Deron Payne. Last year, he gets 11 plus sacks. And now you're going to go back to just stuffing the run and being a smart car in the interior. You just got paid and rewarded for getting home. So I think you're going to have to have Fidarian uh, Mathis and John Ridgeway rotating in F.A. Obata, who does a good job kicking inside and, and being kind of you're, you're doing some of that dirty work, you know, allowing whoever's next to them, Allen and Payne, who can do it to get up the field, allowing the defensive ends to be pretty aggressive on the edges. Sweat has been excellent against the run. You saw it on the fourth down play on the goal line. Chase Young has the ability to take drives over against the run, getting in the backfield as well. But 
I would definitely keep both those guys because I think they've both shown that they're good players in this league. Uh, and I just don't think you can have enough of them. But you're you're on to something because, look, Sweat, Payne, Allen, Young, there's your starters. Uh, if, you, if you think about that James Smith-Williams being a lock, I don't see why you would move on from Casey Tuhill. Uh, F.A. Obata is obviously a lock. That's seven. If I'm saying Ridgeway and Mathis, so now that gives you nine guys before you get to fifth-round pick K.J. Henry. Can you get him to the practice squad? Seventh-round pick Andre Jones. Are they, they fighting for the same spot? That that your guy Benning Potatoes not in that mix at that point, so uh, it's hard, man. It's tough sledding on the defensive line for this team just because of how loaded they are. Well, and you look at the history of this particular group under Rivera, that the this administration of all the draft picks they've made, the only one who did not make the week one roster was William Bradley King, and in fairness to him. They drafted him and Shaka Tony in the seventh round, so it's kind of hard to keep them both. But he obviously he's still here. I mean, he's still been on the practice squad and he's still around. So their mo is to keep these guys. And under normal circumstances, I would say you keep them both. But then, but uh, you know, this is where it gets, this is where it's interesting in a couple of weeks. There's a world you can keep them all. You can keep eleven, but now that means you're keeping ten defensive backs instead of eleven, or three tight ends instead of four, or whatever the deal may be. Um. And and yeah, I just don't know, like I keep waiting to see two hill sort of struggle. That's not happening. So I I think that it's gonna be a fascinating deal. I I, I don't see how they're don't you cut. think though? Eleven seems ridiculous. I mean, I you're, you're, what you're saying is correct, but I guess what I, my counter would be you you have guys that don't come off the field very often in general at tackle that play a lot of snaps at a position where yes, you're gonna have that five man bare front at times, but for the most part, you're gonna have four man fronts. That it's not like D linemen are the best special teams players. They they can be fine, but you want speed and linebacker or perhaps aggressive like receiver DB types. I don't know. I, I just eleven to me seems excessive and ridiculous. It would be done almost to keep your guys, but you, you absolutely there's an Andre Jones in a lot of camps. Like I, I, you know what I mean. I think you could get a guy like that to the practice squad if need be after he went to the seventh round. Well, you know. If it was just him and the fifth round pick was pick any other position, I probably would be like, I, I agree. But because it's direct head to head on some level with KJ Henry, who, like I said, just hasn't been a much of a factor that I can see. And, you know, I, we can't, as I've said many times, as you know, you can't see everything from the sidelines, especially with linemen. There's just too much going on. But, you know, and just talking around people, like it feels like that's been the consensus that he's not been a huge factor. So you're keeping him over Jones, who again has look has flashed at times, even if he's a bit of a bit wild. Um, so that's gonna be an interesting scenario for sure. And then it leads into the other debates of, you know, are you keeping Christian Holmes or are you keeping one of these linemen? Are you keeping one of these linemen or a guy like say a Mitchell Tinsley, who I had on my 53 projection going into this? I, you know, I kind of like him, but it, it's they've got a bunch of receivers. You got Byron Pringle, you've got him, you've got Dax Milne, Casimir Allen, uh, same deal. You can't keep them all. You may, And if you keep six, you still have a couple guys that have to go, but now you're leaving somebody else off here. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, there's plenty of time, of course, to uh, to see that. Um, to switch over to the offense, you mentioned Cole Turner before. Uh, you know, obviously we didn't get – well, but let's just get to it, the offensive line. Uh, you know, it's been the number one issue for a while. I said a while ago that whatever Sam Howe will be, I'm not as concerned about in the sense like 
I don't know if he's going to be the quarterback to take him to the playoffs, but he looks the part. How consistent he is when the games turn real, we'll see. He looks the part. The offensive line has looked tough against that defensive line of practice, and, and they didn't look good against the Browns, missing some guys, Andrew Wiley in particular. Uh, how uh, you know how petrified are you after seeing that? Yeah, so I guess here's where I'll go. I went back and rewatched the game, and I will pin the first sack on Sam Howell. Uh, this was when, you know, Wiley, he kind of ran into the guy that came off the edge that was playing Wiley, and there was a, a second-level blitz from almost the secondary that came uh, untouched from his blind side, and it was like a dual sack for those two guys to get him to the ground. I think two things on that play. Number one, if that blitzer's unaccounted for, he's got to know that, and he's got to turn the ball loose before that guy gets home first. And second, he moved <clears throat> horizontally down the pocket, basically into Wiley's guy. So in real time, I think it looked worse on Wiley than it probably was. Having said that, that's the end of my defending Andrew Wiley. I thought he had a pretty brutal debut uh, as far as preseason openers go. And we've talked a lot about this. Not only is the O-line my biggest concern, but I was really upset with what they did on the offensive line this offseason. And what I have routinely said, and I don't know if you had a similar conversation with anybody, but the day that the news broke that they were going with Sam Howe as their, they wouldn't say starter, but they kept saying QB1, and eventually that was kind of the, the, the terminology that Rivera adopted as well publicly. But when that broke, and I think it was like Jonathan Jones of CBS, remember the guy that used to be in Charlotte, yeah. who like broke the story. And it was like 10 days after the season ended or less. You might know exactly when it was. But the playoffs were still going on. The commanders had just been eliminated. We were all kind of still spinning our tires on how terrible Carson Wentz was and what a fiasco that was. And then this report came out right after Sam Howell's game against Dallas. They're going with him next season. And when I first heard it, I kind of loved the idea. And here's why. Because when I texted people over there with the team, I said, this can't be serious. The offseason hasn't started. You got free agency. You got the draft. This guy threw 19 passes. Two weeks ago, you didn't feel like he was ready to play in an NFL game. Now you're naming him your starter. And the response I got from someone with the organization was not only that it was true, but they said, we love this idea. Here's why. We think the best thing that can happen for us is to find a quarterback on the cheap on that rookie deal. But the, the second part of the plan is not only that we think Hal can do this, but we're going to spend the offseason building up our offensive line in front of him. So it was like a two-pronged plan, and it sounded great. Go with Hal, who, as you said, looks like he might be able to do this. I agree with you. He's athletic. He can move. He can create. He's got the, the, the ability mobily, uh, with mobility to get out of the pocket and make plays with his feet. He's kind of a, a more talented, more physically gifted Taylor Heineke. Like, let's try this. Let's see what happens on the cheap. But the second part of the plan was they're going to address the offensive line. They didn't do anything in the early rounds of the draft to do that. And in free agency, they got Wiley, who I've not been a big fan of, and Nick Gates, who I think is an okay at best center probably. And he seems like an awesome dude. I'm pulling for both of them. But in Wiley's case, what I talk about constantly on my show, Ben, he got tagged for nine sacks last year for pro football focus. And I know Mahomes makes life a little tough moving around and breaking out of the pocket and doing weird stuff. And you can find stats on ESPN, uh, pass rush, win rate and things, 
uh, pass block win rate where Wiley played at, at a high level last year. He signed on the first day of free agency for $8 million a year. $8 million a year is about half of what the top right tackles in the league make. He signed a few hours into free agency for that number. That tells me everything I need to know about how confident he was in his market. And I, I just go back to the fact that I was talking to someone out in Kansas City who's on the Chiefs beat, and they said there was not a single point before last season where they ever thought Andrew Wiley was their right tackle. It kind of accidentally happened, and in a pinch, he became their guy. And to his credit, he played fine for most of last season, and he started in the Super Bowl, and they won, and they shut out the Eagles. And, you know, he'll be a hero there forever because of it. But did, did they move mountains to keep him? Were they going to pay him the $8 million a year? Uh, they weren't lining up to do it. So I had my doubts about Wiley. I'm not going to make a ton more out of a couple of drives in preseason game one than this. But I, I guess I'm just trying to go on record with you if I haven't already to say I didn't love that move. I'm not sold on him. And the tackles for this offensive line, Ben, have to be really good because the, 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 the questions have to be on the inside where you got left guards who haven't done it before competing, where you got a center who just came in here after a pretty serious injury with the Giants, where you got a right guard who's playing guard for the first time in the NFL. Like your veteran at left tackle, Leno, and your veteran guy that you just paid at right tackle, Wiley, they got to be stalwarts that you don't worry about. And Wiley looked anything but, you know, early on here. 100%. I, I say this all the time. I'll use it again. Apologies to the people who want to, uh, you know, scream into the void when I do this. But I always compare the offensive line to when you're remodeling your house, you should do the kitchen because they always say the kitchen gives you the most bang for your buck. So it's going to raise the value of your home more than if you add on like a patio or something. And the offensive line, if you have a really good offensive line, it makes everything else behind it better. The reverse is not true other than like it's quarterback to a degree, but you can have all the receivers like they do. That is not going to help the offensive line. You can have great running backs is not helping the line. You have to have a line, and then you can figure out the rest. And the fact that they've, other than draft, using a second-round pick on Sam Cosme, have just really not invested in this position since they've been here, to me, is borderline baffling. But to your point, even if you wanted to say they hadn't done it before, but like, okay, we're going with Sam Howell, the, yeah. the, basically a rookie, to, and like I suspect they were hoping to get a tackle in the first round. That didn't work out. The top four guys were gone. But like right the pick right after Martin in the second round was Cody Mark. I have no idea what he's been doing. I think he went to Tampa. I don't know what he's been doing in camp. That guy literally plays all five positions. For the coach that right. loves position flex and they need a guard at a minimum, let's just say, seems like a no-brainer. And again, it's not a knock on Martin, but as we just discussed, Unless you thought Percy Butler was just not going to get it done, you already, you know, seemed reasonable to think he could improve and yada, yada, yada. So I definitely am concerned. Like you said, I'm not going crazy off the one game. I've been watching this all summer, and we saw last year, by and large, you know, a lot of this. So we'll see what happens, but it's definitely concerning. You suggested um, this, but I really feel this way. I'll bet you they wanted to draft a tackle and kick Wiley into right guard. Or maybe he and, and Cosme could have been their guards at that point. You know, maybe that was the thought. When And this is not their fault, but the tackles all went. I mean, they could have yeah. moved up if they really urgently had, you know, were desperate for it. But when that happened, I thought going with the corner was probably the most prudent thing to do, and that's what they did, so it made some sense. 
But I think if one of those tackles fell to them at 16, they would have taken them. To your point, where I was stunned was that they didn't have a tackle in the second round. And I know that they had a deal in place uh, to move up. I think it was, was it the Rams that traded up to get Steve Avila? Do you remember that? I think they took a VLA I can look up. I don't remember. If yeah. They so the, him, but... I, I was told that the commanders were on the phone with whatever team traded with the Rams. I think it was the lions, but I don't remember now. And they had a deal in place to go up to get Steve Avila in the second round. And the Rams basically swooped in and made it happen. And there was a comment Rivera made right after the draft. I remember, or maybe it was Mayhew. One of them was like, I, I wish we would have done something or were a little more aggressive. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was referring to, I was told when they were on the phone with and basically had this deal in place to move up to get the lineman in round two. And they really liked the Vila and they could have done it there and they didn't. And that was one of their kind of, they kicked themselves moments. Not to say that they don't like Quan Martin. I think they liked the guys they ended up with, but I know for a fact that not only did they want to trade up, but they were on the phone and had a deal in place. And then, you know, the Rams kick in a sweetener and they would have had to top it or get it done. And, and they chose not to. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're both realists. You can't do everything. But at the same point, it just felt like they needed to do something there. And then also we talk about a lot about allocation, um, how you spent money to get Nick Gates at center. Then you draft a, a easier third round pick on a center and Ricky Stromberg that who's never going to play until unless Nick and for two years, if Nick Gates plays, that doesn't seem ideal when you need other stuff. So that was weird. They passed on Dewan Jones, who I guess people are saying is looking pretty good for Cleveland. I mean, independent of the game the other day just looked is looking better so we'll see about that i will say i I know you've been um running around today with the with the with the family um rivera today was talking about how for the first time basically in practice they used ricky stromberg and tyler larson at guard sure because if you're going to keep all three like somebody has to play guard (laughs) stromberg stromberg did for 11 games in college but they've been pretty insistent on not doing that and I'm not sure what I'm not sure if this is just their plan to get them focused on their main position and then move, or have they seen enough at guard to be like, oh boy, we may be have to, you know, we may not have a third guard. We got to have somebody ready. I I don't know, but at least they've done that much. Um, I, I didn't. I, I need to go back and watch the offensive line more to have a real feel for Chris Paul. But you know, he he's clearly a more mobile option than what they've had what they had last year. Um, Sadiq Charles didn't play. You have a a wild thought on either of those guys or not not real. I mean, my, my issue with Charles is, is again, coming to fruition. He just can't stay healthy. So like you could tell me right now, he's better than Chris Paul. And I'd say, if you say so, but I don't think it matters. He's not going to be on the field from what I can gather. It just hasn't happened. I actually do like Chris Paul though. I have been a believer in him since I saw him play week 18 against Dallas. And if we're all banking on a quarterback or talking about the potential of Sam Howell based on one game, he basically was named a starter. I don't know why you can't do the same thing about a guard. Chris Paul whipped ass against the Cowboys in week 18 last year. Go back and watch the tape. He was really, really good. Now, maybe Dallas didn't have the faders turned all the way up to 11. I don't know. But again, they named a starter and quarterback off of that game. So uh, I think if Paul has to play, it's not going to be Pro Bowl caliber, but I think he'll be fine. I'm actually not that concerned about him. Uh, I want to see more of Nick Gates. As I said, I am worried about Wiley. Uh, but I think Paul is actually a good project. He's super smart. He's really conscientious. He's a, just a sharp guy, and I think he's big and physical. And uh, I, I like what I've seen. I really do. 
you like fader that's the second reference you've made you, you got something you got something going on over there with the, some music stereo I'm, I'm looking at my fader board here in front of me as we're talking that might be it i'm i'm brick tamlin i'm just looking at things in the room and saying them out loud lamp i love lamp well i i, I would say i love phone since that's all i ever look at um yeah at my cat all right so um let's get to the fun thing sam Howe. Um, obviously this was what everybody wanted to see. And, you know, he played a little bit more than maybe we could have thought going in, but seemed reasonable though, considering he's not some proven quarterback who you don't need to throw out there at all. He's a guy that, you know, what did Watson play one series? You know, no, this guy hasn't played the reps and also, you know, I know they're not calling the real game plan, but the enemy needs to frankly practice his part of the uh, process there. So uh, that said, uh, you know, he's he's hampered a little bit because of the line struggles. But that said, what do you think of Sam Howell? So uh, with with the caveat first that a plethora of the best players on the Browns didn't play at all, number one. And number two, for the first couple drives, they were against like the de facto starters. And then even a couple of those guys, I think, sat before their third long productive scoring drive that they went on when Howell and the boys went on the 10-play uh, 80-yard march that ended with the 26-yard touchdown pass to Dotson. So I just want to throw out there that not only was it not the A-team for Cleveland, but even after they started 11 guys that they called their starters, I don't know that all those guys were still on the field. That having been said, separate that. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Sam Howe for a first preseason game. So it was 9 of 12, and the three incompletions, two of them were throwaways that were smart, out of bounds. One of them was a drop by John Bates that was thrown really well. You can say that the throw downfield, the Dotson, wasn't perfect. It was elevated, but it was actually in a really good spot. It would have looked better if it wasn't double caught. It was high, but he he kind of you know he made a throw where it needed to be to the catch radius of his receiver, and he hit him at the at the right point in time. A little lower would have been perfect, but nine for twelve. 77 yards, he was efficient. I love the scramble he had for seven, eight yards on a third and six where he was decisive, pulled the ball down. It's kind of Mahomesian, honestly, where he kind of made a guy miss and got out of bounds with him around his legs, uh, showed some niftiness there. Uh, I, I like that he was able to progress through some reads, even on some of the shorter stuff. Like, it doesn't look that flashy, but there was a like a four or five-yard throw underneath really early right away where he got to his third guy, kind of there was a, a three-man concept, looked a couple things off, hit the man underneath for four or five yards, and now you're moving and it's second and manageable. So uh, I thought he made good decisions. He was quick. There were no balls in harm's way. He was very accurate. Uh, and other than, again, a couple of times where he either ran into a sack, there was a, a tipped ball at one point um, on a, you know, a throw that uh, – that I think it came back from a penalty anyway, but where he kind of allowed the rusher to get too close, and again, it was his guy to worry about. Like, a couple of those things he'll have to clean up. But as far as spinning and throwing the ball, I thought he was really good. He looked exactly how you wanted him to look, I thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as I've come on your show and others, everybody wants to know how Sam Howe's doing. I, I finally gotten to this point of saying, if you're viewing him as a basically like an inexperienced rookie, I think he's making good progress. If you're viewing him as a guy that's going to win you 10, 11 games, I don't know what to tell you. We'll have to see. But the basics have been pretty good. His, his decision-making at times looks a little rough. You mentioned the uh, the sack. You put that on him. I think that's a good a good example of what I'm talking about because in practice, he's often holding the ball a long time where you kind of know he would have to be throw it away or get hit. Um, and down the field, he seems to have thrown into coverage at times, but, you know, 
Brett, so did Brett Favre, but it seemed to work out, you know, we'll see. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's some good things there and like, you know, the, the, but it is, I, so I'm with you on that, but like those first two drives were a bit rough to say the least, not yes. all on him, but there's some, you know, factor there. And, and the point is he's going to be playing with these guys when the season starts. So if they're struggling against Cleveland in this way, in this way, then what's going to happen when the games get going for real. But yeah, all in all, I'd have to be, I'd have to say I was, um, Please, uh, with, with what we saw from Sam Howell, for sure. No argument. And, you know, this notion of the the quarterback competition, it's always been Howell versus Howell. As long as he doesn't vomit all over himself, he'll keep the job. He didn't do that. He'd have to really stink this week in Baltimore in the joint practices and in the game for anybody to think that there could be something else happening here. Yeah, I just think he looks like he's beyond that, too, in terms of, I don't know how good he is, but he's he's not throw up on himself bad. Like he has proven that he can do this. A uh, couple of plays that stood out to me, you mentioned. So the the play that came back on the Bates drop, I thought that was a really good ball. And then there was a third down in medium. Top of my head, I would say it was like six or seven. And he kind of rolled out, extended, 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 and created. And eventually Cole Turner came free, remember, near the sideline. It was a nice catch and run for 13 yards, I think, and they moved the sticks for a first down. Like that play, it was Heineke-esque. It was kind of the best of Taylor Heineke, if you remember, when he would just keep buying time and then someone would come free and plaster. But that was an awesome play. And like that, to me, is what he's going to have to be in this offense. If I was to capture one or two plays from the game, it would be that third down, play-extending, throw-off schedule to Turner, and probably the scramble. I argue with with my co-host, Danny, on my show, and and I'll argue with anybody about this all the time, but I really believe Sam Howell should run a lot. I think it should be built into the offense. I think they should ask him to run a lot. I think there should be a lot of RPOs, but at times read option looks for him to keep the ball. This is a guy that ran for 100 yards seven times in games, seven games where he had 100 rushing yards at North Carolina his final season in college. And you saw what he did against the Cowboys. It just adds an element. It's difficult to defend. You see it all over the NFL. I'm not saying he should be Justin Fields or major in it, but you know, five or six scrambles a game or, or two or three design runs with two or three scrambles is probably a decent sweet spot. You know, he could be rushing for 30, 40 yards every single Sunday, and it would add a lot to this offense. But those would be a couple plays I'd highlight as saying like what I'm most excited about seeing more of. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when we talk about the uh, the win total projection is six and a half, I think people keep viewing that as Vegas saying they think Washington's not good. The reality is, I think what it says is people don't know what to make of Sam Howe. And the, re- and the example of that is I saw a national pundit uh, tweeting uh, after looking at the game saying, oh, like who knew Sam Howe could run? I'm like, really? It's like the one thing we knew he could do coming out of out of North Carolina. But it's that little there's so little information on him to the people who are not really focused because he yeah, was right. a fifth round pick and all that stuff. So I think that's part of what's going on. And we'll see. Uh, you know, he's going to face some tough defenses early on in the season. A lot of it's going to depend, of course, on Eric Bieniemy and how he, he operates as a play caller as well. But, yeah, some good signs there. And that's probably the number one thing for me I'm excited to watch this week. Uh, in in uh, Baltimore. Um, all right, I mentioned the enemy. I, I'm going to try a new bit here this year. We're going to start off with Grant. Grant's a, Grant's a playful guy, so hopefully he's going to be he's going to play along with me here. We're going to do spreads, 
but the spreads are not going to be what do you think it's like Washington versus the Ravens. We're leaving Vegas to do that. It'll be a way to discuss certain topics, but doing it from a spread perspective. So, for example, we just mentioned Biennemi. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, what play calls he's going to use. He's taking the Kansas City playbook. But then there's also play calling. You got to know in, in the flow of the game after the script runs out or whatever, what to do in the moment when it's third and six from midfield and you've got to get four, you got to get a touchdown. What are you calling? Or do you, what, you know, what do you kind of do? So here's the, here's the first line we're going to do play calling versus play designing. So what's the spread? I'll just, as an example, I would just say, I think play calling is ultimately more important because you've got to make, you've got to make decisions in real time versus like drawing up on the chalkboard and saying, we want to do this thing. What happens when the game changes you you trail or whatever so i'm gonna say play calling minus seven and a half over play design does that make sense yeah it does i I would say it's a lot tighter um play calling is so significant because you you should be calling plays like you play pool setting up your next shot okay so when you're playing pool a lot like i'm not a good pool player I shoot the cue ball, I hit a ball in, and now I think about, oh, now what am I going to do? Yes. Someone who's good at pool shoots the shot not only to hit the ball to make it go in, but so that the cue ball ends up in a place where they – and you should be calling plays that way. The 400-level play callers, the masters like Kyle Shanahan, are running three or four dummy plays that don't work for the fifth play that goes for 64 on a house call later. So I get the importance, but I'm actually going to zig and where you're zagging here. I'll say minus three and a half for play design. Mm. And the reason I say that is it's about involving your playmakers. It's about getting the ball in space to the right players. So I think what's pertinent for this offense, because you don't have enough war daddies, is that Terry McLaurin gets the ball X amount of times, that you find a way to get the ball in space to Curtis Samuel, to Antonio Gibson. I think it's up to the play designer and Eric Bieniemy to find a way to do that, to get one-on-one matchups for Gibson on some Texas routes and some choice stuff out of the backfield on a linebacker, to get Cole Turner matched up one-on-one like he did in the middle of the field really well on a third down in the preseason. So I'll say it's not a you know huge uh, spread going into this matchup, but I'll say minus three and a hook maybe for play designing. Right. For enemy and that's what I'm excited to see, especially down around the goal line where Andy Reid was the best in the world. All right, we're going to go off the board. This is not a commander's one. This is just life thoughts. Ready? Fruits versus vegetables. What is your line? I'm actually very curious because your food habits, as, as are legendary, are kind of all over the place. So I don't really know what you would think, but I'm curious. What do you got? Fruits versus vegetables? Ooh. I hate both equally, uh, as you can tell by how fat I am. Um, I'm going to say vegetables minus a point and a half. Wow. Uh, I I like Brussels sprouts a ton, but these are the unhealthy kind. So Brussels sprouts with like bacon and a little syrup and cooked, you know, most like a candy kind of um, that. They're very delicious. I also am a big asparagus guy, uh, which might be random, but with steak and mashed potatoes, my third item on the plate my second side is often going to be asparagus uh so brussels and asparagus i also like cauliflower cauliflower mashed i could deal with that from a fruit standpoint i did have watermelon today that's heavily on my mind crush that it was incredible 
Otherwise, I, there's not really fruits that are heavy in my rotation. I'll eat apples, but I don't do it that often. Uh, I make a, get the kids a lot of fruit, but unless something's like already carved and cut up and I can just pop it in my mouth out of the fridge, I'm not taking the time to, to mess with it. So vegetables minimally, but I could punt both to the sun and never feel bad about it. Uh, I got fruit minus nine and a half. I can eat wow. fruit all I can eat fruit all day, but vegetables, like I'll eat them. I've become more of an adult in that regard. But yes, you probably have to doctor some things a bit more. Like, you know, I'm not counting like corn is not a vegetable in this conversation. We're talking, you know, the standard heavy stuff that your parents try to eat, make you eat when you're a kid, and you're like, yeah, no, 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 thanks. Most of the time it needs to be like I can't make broccoli or spinach or Brussels sprouts at home to make it so that I want to eat it. I have to go somewhere where they're doing something to it. Maybe not to the extreme that you were saying. Whereas like fruit, I mean, I'll, I'll crush grapes, apples, bananas all day. I mean, I, I could eat more as uh, you know, I, I need to go. Yeah, to the gym. Give me, give me your top run through your fruit rotation. I want to see if I even have this at all ever. Well, I mean, a- apples, I go through a lot. I, I okay. like apples. I mean, I haven't eaten an apple, like just, Johnny Appleseed apple in my hand in years. We, we had a bit last year in the media room during a down t- period where uh, I think it was 48 brought in like six different kinds of apples. And we all like did like a blind taste test to determine because I think we were debating like is honey crisp the number one honey crisp is good, but it's expensive. I think from like a salary cap perspective, the Fuji apple is the better value. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I, I like a Fuji apple. Yeah, but so the honey go... crisp one is the one that comes in like the plastic encasing, right? Uh, I mean they have it. It depends. I mean, it's just sitting out there. But I yeah. mean, it's 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 sweeter, but it's also just more expensive. So, um, yeah, I could do all that. I mean, I, I could do almost any of the fruits: cantaloupe, watermelon. It's a little. It's a bit work if there's the seeds are involved. I'm I'm kind of a pansy on that regard. But uh, but yeah, fruits in general. I, I'm just saying in terms of what I'm going to eat. I'm not saying they're better for you, but in terms of what I eat, I go fruits minus. Uh, nine. Um, all right. Last one for you. You've seen Sam Howell now play two games, one preseason game, one real game. By the end of this year, the, uh, the, the will Sam Howell be the best quarterback under Ron Rivera or will he not be? So that's the line. He will be the best quarterback we've seen under Rivera or he won't be. What's, what's your line on that? Okay. Wentz, Heineke, Fitzpatrick, Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen. Basically, yes. Am I missing anybody? Garrett Gilbert. Eh. What's eating Garrett Gilbert? <laughs> um, grapes are very good, by the way. Speaking of what's eating frozen Gilbert ones grape. too. That's a, that's yeah. I love grape. a frozen grape. Have you had the watermelon grapes? Not sure. or not watermelon. Sorry, cotton candy grapes. Oh no, I haven't, but I've heard that's pretty good. They're incredible. They're at Wegmans. Um, man, I thought so lowly of all those quarterbacks. I'm gonna say Sam Howell minus five and a half. Yeah, I feel good about it. I mean, by by default, I, I you know that makes you think, I guess, that I'm a truther or some Sam Howell mark. I think he's gonna be fine. Like I'm not betting on anything crazy. I could see. 22 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 3,900 yards. Again, I hope he rushes for 450 or something like that. Um, I don't think he will be benched for play this season. I think almost every single other guy that we just named was in that level of play at different points. 
or at least we were talking about it. So, uh, yeah, minus four and a half, I think, uh, is a good number. I would be more confident if I'd seen a little bit more of him or, frankly, if I felt better about the offensive line, even though it's a cop-out, but it's a dependent position. And if they're going to have games where they get their lunch eaten, it's going to affect how he plays and how we feel about him. So Sam Howell behind a good offensive line, I might have gone minus eight, minus nine. Uh, But behind this front, I'm going to say minus four and a half. I'll go minus three. And my only reason for going lower is Alex Smith was what, six and one when he played. Now I'm not saying it was one leg Alex Smith and obviously it was the ceiling was very low, but you know, he got wins. They did win the division that year in a crappy year. So if Sam Howell looks good, but they only go six and 11, I don't, then it's a little bit harder to sort of gauge. But I think in general, from the potential standpoint, especially if we look at Howell as regardless of what the record is as an ascending property, then that's going to make everybody feel better. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go minus three just because I don't know about the win total and therefore might have to go by Alex Smith by default. But, um, that uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm with you there. With second place Garrett, uh, third place Garrett Gilbert. As long as he gets a mention, I forgot he existed. That's a good pull by you. The old COVID year, yes, uh, fiasco. That was that was quite the quite the game. All right, uh, Grant Paulson rocks per usual. Go listen to him Monday to Friday, uh, two to six thirty on uh, one hundred six seven The Fan. That is um, correct. You've got a baseball podcast. You do MLB stuff. You're you're rocking and rolling on uh, Twitter. What is it at Grant H Paulson? The man is a machine, hardest working man in show business. I appreciate the time, my guy. And uh, are you going to bulk? Are you uh, going to be at the joint? Oh, no, I guess you can't be, but you'll be at the game Monday or no? Yeah, I will be. I'll be there Monday night. I'm actually hoping to get to one of the uh, the joint. Oh, because they are in the morning. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. It's not, so yeah, um, I think uh, my fam might be. Uh, out that morning so i think i might try to make the hike and and get to one of those all right well hopefully i'll see you uh but i appreciate the time i got appreciate you buddy all right um many thanks to grant paulson for his time thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast uh we'll be back this week uh certainly at least one episode from baltimore if not back to uh, on both days uh but we will see how that goes but that is it for now Uh, Stay cool. It is way hot out there today. Uh, Ben Standig signing off. Until next time. See ya.